0: This opportunity to, to uh, gather together, to worship, and to study your word. And I thank you for the freedom we enjoy that we have the ability to do that. And Lord, I lift up to you Pastor James and Dawn and, and their boys. And I thank you that you've given us such a pastor, this, such a gift to us. And I ask you to bless him, bless her and those boys. Allow them to grow on this trip, to learn on this trip, and to be a blessing to others. Thank you for them. Thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Joshua 3, we're going to continue in Joshua the way James has been teaching. And while you're turning there, I'm actually going to um, talk a little bit about something that had very little to do with Joshua. as kind of a setup for this lesson. Um, and it, it's loosely tied to what this lesson is about, but it's something that's been on my heart and mind. And this is an opportunity to share it, so I'm, I'm going to anyway. So Moses... Of course, was leading the Israelites through the desert, and he put up with the complaining, the whining, the grumbling, the threatening for forty years. He had had them to the promised land once before, and of course, there was doubt. They had sent in the spies. They said, "No, we can't do this." They didn't trust God, and now they're wandering the desert. And if I'm Moses, I'd feel like really we were that close, and you ruined it for me. So here, but he goes ahead and he leads them for how many ever years, wandering through the desert. And then they're grumbling for water. And God tells him, once before they'd done this and Moses had struck struck the rock with his st- a staff and the water had come out. God told him this time, I want you to speak to the rock this time. But in his anger and frustration, he, he rebuked the people and he struck the rock. Now, for whatever the reasoning was that God at this point decided to discipline Moses, God has his reasons. He basically at that point said, you will not enter the promised land. And that always I always kind of felt bad for Moses. I felt like, you know, it seemed like such a small infraction, but I trust that God is perfect and doesn't make mistakes. And so I look back and try to say, you know, what what was causing this? Why did God make this decision with Moses? And there's a number of theories. Some people say it's because he didn't glorify God and and that he he struck the rock. And there's a number of ways you go about it. But one thing I do know is that in his anger and frustration, he did something that dishonored God. And so he lost the reward. He did not get to go into the promised land. And so I was thinking about a verse that's really been on my mind for a long time here, out of James chapter 1, verse 20. And it says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I ran across that a few months back, and it just struck me. Because I see this pattern in modern Christianity of one where, in, in what we think is defense of our faith... Where we respond to people in anger. We respond to people in wrath. Now, people will say, well, Jesus was angry in the temple. Okay, that's true. I'll eventually get back to Joshua, I promise. Um, He was angry in the temple on behalf of God. And there's times we can feel like we're doing that. But more often than not, we are being angry out of selfish reasons. And we are basically getting offended, and so we begin to put things like, "Oh, I'm going to rant online because of something that somebody did," or "I'm going to deal with someone who has just deeply wronged me because they deserve it." The wrath of man will not, cannot produce the righteousness of God. There's a thing in the New Testament that says about, "In your anger, sin not." And this idea of angry defense of the faith, we need to understand, because we all get. I'm big into like news and politics. And following this, we need to understand that those, for example, in favor of abortion, are not the enemy. Muslims are not the enemy. Terrorists who kill people, it's awful, not the enemy. Our political opponents are not the enemy. Each of these folks that I've just mentioned are the goal. These are why we have faith, to reach them, not to win. If you win the argument but lose the sinner, then you have not accomplished anything. I know it had very little to do with Joshua, and I kind of strayed there on Moses. But the idea of our anger and our wrath and what it does not produce, I felt that was on my heart and I wanted to share it tonight. So that's free. Okay, on to Joshua chapter 3. So Joshua chapter 3. They've been wandering in this desert for 40 years. And if you can picture this, this is not like the small wandering band of nomads. The estimates people have is that there were two and a half million Jews in the desert. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Moses being in charge of this and now Joshua? And they're wandering the desert. And they've now come to the point, the 40 years is over. They lived through their parents' mistake. The older generation, for the most part, has now passed away. And they're there. They're at the goal. They're at the prize. The wandering is over, they've seen the miracles and the manna, they've seen victories and defeats, they've seen God's provision, they've seen the death of this original generation for their disobedience, and they're now ready to claim the blessing that God has given them. So let's read in Joshua chapter 3, we're going to go through verses 1 through 6. Then, pardon me, then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was, after three days, that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Can you imagine what those three days felt like? Because they're basically a people without a nation. They're lost. They don't belong anywhere. They, they barely remember Egypt because it was where their parents were from. And they know that they were not a, they're a people, but they were not a nation. And now they're wandering, and they know there's this promise, they've seen the miracles, but they've not seen yet what it is to be. So there's preparation and excitement. So there's fear, there's anticipation, because the next step is the promised land, land that flows with milk and honey. Their parents had faced the exact same situation and had failed to believe that the God who parted the Red Sea, that the God that destroyed enemies in front of them, And this was not a trained army. This was a band of wanderers. The God that accomplished all this could not take the land for them. They sent in spies. They said the people are so big. They're they're giants. There's just no way we can take this land. Their parents did not believe in God and lost the reward. And now, it's their opportunity to receive blessing. And they're ready for it. They want to receive it. They want to claim it. And they believe that God can do it. And I feel like There is somewhat of a spiritual application there for us, if we're looking through this. When we will face opportunities, when we have to make a choice, and maybe there's something that that you're facing now, or maybe this is something you'll face in the future, where you need God's help, you're trying to make a decision, or even further, you feel God calling you to do something, but you're scared. And I've been there. The one thing I said I would never do in a church setting is teach a youth group. It's the only thing I said I would never do. I remember I was at a Bob Evans. James had called Heidi and I. We were sitting there, and he was telling us about the things we'd want to do. He says, I want you to be a youth pastor. And I, I think my head actually literally hit the table. I was like, no, oh, you know, no. Not that. Anything? Sorry, youth, if you're in here. but uh, That was the one thing. So now I've been telling God I will never be a missionary to Hawaii. I refuse. Um, See if the same hasn't worked out yet. but, um, But I was facing a decision and a choice. And we felt like God was presenting an opportunity. And so we tried it out. And the Lord blessed. But I had doubts. I had fear. Even though I've seen God work in my life. And I've seen him save me from my my past. And I've seen him cover me and bless me and take care of me. It's natural human nature that I'm going to doubt. So when you face that decision, when I face that decision, because more will come, will I act in obedience? Will I believe that the God I saw work miracles will do it again? But it's like we justify. We almost can say, well, I know he got me through that, but this one's hard. It's kind of like the Israelites saying, well, I know he parted a sea but there's these people and they're scary. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. And yet, that's our human nature. Each trial seems so big. And what's the song I'd heard say, don't, don't tell God how big your problem is, tell your problem how big your God is. And This is where the, the, the generation in, 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 Israel, or in, in the desert had failed that and now the kids are trying. So can we, will you, when facing these things, when facing the decision you're facing right now, and it's scary Will we believe that God is bigger than it? Will we believe that he's the God of this world, of this universe, of our lives? See, in reality, even though we're going to go through this verse by verse, Joshua had told the people to sanctify themselves and prepare and to get ready. But in reality, serving Christ is not, okay, now I need something, so now I'm going to really get serious. Now, God will take that. And he's always there waiting for you to come and to seek him because he loves it. He loves talking to you. He loves hearing from you. But abiding in Christ should be day by day, even when we don't need something. And I don't say that in a legalistic way. And if you're not doing this, something's wrong with you. I say that if you don't, then you're missing out. That is how he works. That's how we see. And so in these verses that we're going to go through, verses 3 through 6... There are some principles here we can use to act in obedience when we have to make a choice, when we're facing a decision. So let's go back to verse 3. Man, I need glasses. I can't get up high enough to make these not blurry. Um, Verse 3, And he commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. The Ark of the Covenant represented the Spirit of God. It was God's throne on earth, in essence. And it was represented to the Israelites that this Ark that was revered, it um, it was honored, it was even feared, I remember there's the one place later in the, New, in the Old Testament where someone, it started to fall and someone just tried to do the good deed of, you know, I'm going to hold it up and he was killed immediately. This was to be taken very seriously. This was God. And so by seeing it, they're saying, wait for the ark. When you see it move, then you move. Well, there's a principle there. Don't go where God's presence is not. If you're trying to make a choice, you're trying to make a decision, Make sure you're lining up with with, with Scripture. Because sometimes we'll justify, uh, I've heard James give the example before of someone saying, Well, I feel like God's given me the okay to divorce. That's not scriptural. And we could go through a 100 examples and come up with things, but if, if it's not in here, if what you're deciding doesn't line up with here, there is no, Well, I know it's wrong, but that's not how it works. And is there grace and can you be forgiven? Absolutely. But if you expect things to go well, when you're flat out saying, well, this word isn't good enough for me, I've got some counseling and some logic that tells me a different and a better way. And I'm going to my non-Christian co-workers and they say I ought to do this. Okay? Don't go where God's presence is not. Follow God's presence and where it moves. The ark was moving and they would now follow it. Okay? And sometimes... You have a certain direction that may feel right. You're thinking about it. And there's something in you that just is not sure. My mom had a great great saying she's always given us, where she says, when in doubt, don't. Now, we can take that to an extreme and we could live in fear and never do anything because I'm doubting. I don't. I'm not going to do it. That's not what I'm talking about because God does not expect us to live in fear. The scripture says he has not given us a spirit of fear. But sometimes there is that check in the spirit that this just feels wrong. Listen to it. Pause. Take time to think. Seek counsel. Scriptural counsel. Seek the word. But go where God's moving. When, when Heidi and I were first married, some of you have heard this story before. Um, she had this um, study that she wanted us to do. Many of you have heard of it, experiencing God. And she was being much more spiritual than I was. We're going to study. We're going to fast. We're going to do this together. It's going to be great. It was not. Um, because I, was, I thought at that point, fasting meant just eat faster. And that was apparently not right. And so and so we would do this, and she'd say, okay, on Wednesdays, because at that point, the church we were in didn't have Wednesday night service. On Wednesday nights, Wednesday during day, all day at work, we're going to fast. So I came home already just like grouchy, because I was not used to this at all. Um, and then we would study this, this uh, Experiencing God book, and I hated it. We don't even think we finished it. I was such a grump about it. But... Um, she still tolerated me, put up with me, but one of the lines begrudgingly that I remember out of this book and that I've thought of to this day is said, see where God is moving and then join him. Now I was immediately in my skeptical, grouchy, fasting isn't legitimate days saying, well, how do I know where God's moving? Okay. Valid question. You'll at least know the places he's not moving. Okay. By what we talked about. But if you pray, if you're seeking Him, if you're living a life of trying to abide with Him, you'll begin to notice things that are blessed. And God's never going to dishonor a choice you made trying to serve Him. And maybe you ended up something that wasn't your calling. I tried a number of things here at the church that I was moderately okay, successful at um, before I found something that I felt really fit. But you know what? During that time, I got to serve and I took the burden off of somebody else. If you're trying to serve God... To honor that in whatever it is, even if you're not in your ultimate calling, you're going to bless folks, and He's going to bless you for that. Go where God's presence is. Verse 4 Yet there shall be a space between you and it, being the ark, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. 2,000 cubits. I looked this up, and I was surprised how far this is. This is 1,000 yards. This is 10 football fields. So between the group and the ark, there was to be 10 football fields. That just seems like really far. I'm thinking, you know, I would barely be able to see that. I can't even read my Bible in here. I don't know how I'm going to be able to see 10 football fields. But then it occurred to me, if you've got 2.5 million people, for everyone to be watching the same thing, that might make sense. But I think there's actually... a ...a reason beyond that, which is the idea of reverence. They were to reverence the ark. They were to give it space. They were to follow. This, I'm going to apply to our lives, but in opposite, in reverse. Because we have something, since the death of Christ and His resurrection, we have something that they did not. And that's the Holy Spirit. They did not have the Spirit to guide them, so they were watching this ark. But now we have the Holy Spirit... Turn, if you would, to the book of Hebrews real quick, chapter 4. Chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to go to verse 14. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have access to the throne of God Himself, and we are to boldly come to it. We don't have to hide from it. We don't have to cower. We don't have to fear that we're going to be killed for approaching it or reprimanded. He has given us access by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have access to the throne of God itself. So when we have to make a decision, the one who knows your entire future is asking you, hey, come ask me. I'd like to help. And sometimes you feel like Yeah, but I'd like a God with with skin on. I want to be able to talk to him, and he tells me exactly what I need to do. And if he could just post it on Instagram, that would be perfect. Tell me exactly where I'm supposed to go. That would be great. But he doesn't work that way. But if you're asking, even if you don't hear a voice from heaven saying, this is where you are to go, which is possible, I suppose, but it's not worked that way for me, he will make sure you end up in the right place. Notice what it says at the end of verse 4. That you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Well, isn't that life? Most of what we do is, I have not passed this way before, I'm scared, what do I do? Almost sounds like maybe passing through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'll fear no evil. Because the God who knows my every step from birth to death, knows exactly where I'm going to be. And he wants in on the action. He wants to help. So ask Him. Ask Him what you're supposed to do. I've faced stuff where I had to make decisions, and I didn't necessarily feel like I got a clear answer. I was pretty frustrated, to be honest with you. But somehow I ended up in the right place. We asked Him. So first you see Him move, and you try to follow them. Follow Him. And then you ask Him for direction. Maybe I've got those in reverse. We should ask Him first, but we need to be seeking Him and asking the One who created all of the universe My life is so simple compared to what he has done. I think he can guide me through it. So ask him. Now, I do want to say that because we can boldly come before the throne, let's remember he's still God and there still ought to be reverence. This is not a casual thing, really. I mean, I'm not saying you can pray wrong, but just remember he is the creator of all things. And take that seriously. We should absolutely have reverence for God. And act accordingly. Balance it that way. Let's go to verse 5. And Joshua said to the people. Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. I love that verse. It's like he's given a little sneak preview. Preview. Before the action, before the movie. Here's a little preview of what's going to happen. He's going to do amazing things tomorrow. So sanctify yourselves, get ready. And I wondered, you know, what that meant, if they were to sanctify themselves. So I dug into this a little bit, and there were several things. They were to not be intimate with their spouse, physically intimate, and they were to wash themselves and their clothes in preparation when they were being told to sanctify themselves Washing their clothes in those days, you got two and a half million people with no washing machines. Okay, so this is not exactly an easy thing to do. But there were times that they were commanded to sanctify yourselves. Sanctify meaning to set yourself apart, set yourself aside. And he had basically given this this command. Now, the problem I have with that teaching sometimes is you say, "Well, now suddenly there was something big going to happen. Oh, so now I'm going to sanctify myself." What I am not teaching here, I'm not saying, well, when you need something, now it's when you clean up your act, okay? I had a friend that was kind of like this. He was, um, I think he was Catholic, and every, at Easter time when it was Lent, he would give up smoking and cussing. And it felt like somehow a little bit disingenuous, that, okay, we shouldn't just live life all year. but Okay, now it's a special time, so I'm going to give up something that I think is bad, okay? That's not what I'm saying here. I mean, it is never too late to seek him. And I think if we've got something big, we ought to. But we ought to be living this holiness, be holy as I am holy, the scriptures say. This ought to be a daily practice. And once again, I don't say that in a scolding kind of way because none of us are holy. But when we live a holy life, when we're abiding in him, when we're trying to please him, we're making good choices, you'll begin to see God act. Now let me clarify what I mean there. I don't mean because you were holy, He now does stuff for you. What I'm saying is because you're holy, you're starting to notice the things He's already doing for you. Because God is moving. And when we sin, that acts like static on a phone line. Your connection with God is now interrupted and you miss out on the blessings. And I might sanctify myself and get holy and, and and work on you, serving him more. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get what I want. It might just be the opposite because now this target's on my back and Satan doesn't like it. But I'm going to begin to get a godly perspective where I can see where things are going. So, God is not a God that's going to act spitefully. He's not going to say, okay, well now you come to me. You know what? You're on your own. That's not God. He wants to do for you. But your chances of... I say successful, spiritual life, and even temporal, physical life. Your chances of success are better when your daily walk is with Him. Because He's going to help you make great choices. With the youth, I've given the example before. It's a silly example. I'd say, guys, let's say you were, you were trying to get your first job. And there were two options. You had a job at Burger King and a job at McDonald's. That could not appear like God would could... couldn't care less about a a job like that or, or which job you took. But I gave them the example that, you know what, he may know that at one of them, there's someone who's going to influence you in a bad way and in the other, there is not. In the very smallest of decisions, when we include him in our choices, we're more likely to end up where we need to be. But to do that, we need to daily abide. That was another verse of that experience in God book. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Abiding with him, not a weekend ritual, not I came to church because it's Sunday or I came even worse, come to church because it's Christmas and Easter. I'm going to come to church because man, I get something out of it and I get to grow and maybe I get to give and I get to help. All that being said, and we ought to abide, there are times that a big decision does come along. And in those times, there might be a time for a special sanctification in our life where we set aside some time. This might look like fasting. Now that I've learned the the benefits of fasting, I look at it completely different than I did almost 20 years ago now. Because it can be amazing. And it's not a case of, hey, I get what I want because I'm fasting. But the, the, the closeness and the growth, the time spent with the Lord. It could look like special times of prayer by yourself, or with your family, or with the elders of the church. Taking the time to truly do something to seek the Lord. It could be getting alone with God, going away, spending some time with just yourself or you and your spouse, and going away, not for a vacation, but just to seek God. We should put into practice the fact that we have him on our side and apply it to life. So when those things come up, like had can come up for the Israelites, he was saying, sanctify yourself. Verse 5 is a picture of this. They would sanctify in preparation for what God, not the people, For what God was about to do and to be successful, it needs to be we're joining in God's movement, not making a decision and saying, Lord, please bless this. Please bless this. I can't. If I had the time, I could tell you of a dozen things I can think of just off the top of my head that I wanted to do. I did. said, God, please bless this and failed miserably. And I'm still feeling the consequences from them all these years later because I wasn't following God. I was following me and saying, come along, God, you can help me out here. We should take holiness seriously all the time, but when we are trying to seek the Lord, it's okay to take that time of special sanctification. All right, I'm going to go through verses seven through thirteen. Before I do, we're going to take a quick break for a for story time, just for in there because I wanted to mention this earlier when I talked about fear and when we're not going to operate on fear. Here's a story about fear. Last Friday night. Heidi came back to bed in the middle of the night. She'd gotten up for something. And she's laying in bed for a minute or so. Suddenly jumps up and starts going like this. Hitting herself on the head. And I'm thinking, she's having a dream. I don't know what's going on. You're scared me. And she says, I've got a bug on me. It's go- it went in my ear. And I'm like, really? Are you sure? And so we're like looking. I've got a light. Can't find anything. Long story short, because I don't want to go into all the details. There was numerous attempts, including an ill-advised attempt with a shop vac that did not work. That was her idea, not mine. She's like, get the shot back. I'm like, really? Are we sure about this? I'm picturing eardrums just (laughs) right out. Um, Did not work. We looked up and found out that oil will kill bugs in the ear. We did that. Ended up in the ER at 3 in the morning to pull out a cockroach out of my poor pregnant wife's ear. Eight months pregnant. She's lucky it didn't, like, throw her right into labor. So when I talk about fear, it's not just my wife's fear, Okay. Because sometimes we're faced with fear, and you got to make a choice. Well, the ER nurse and doctor, we're telling the nurse, and she's making this face like, I'm like, oh, the face isn't helping. Please, my wife's trying to stay calm. It's not helping. So we tell this young ER doctor what's going on. And he looks like he's trying not to gag. This guy sees, like, bones sticking out and blood. and And he's, like, literally, like, going like this when he's looking. Joking, I said, well... Maybe we should get an ER doc that doesn't look like he's about to throw up. And, and he says, you're right, okay. And he leaves. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And so he was facing fear and had to make a choice. And he chose to bail. Like the, like, like the original generation that chose not to go into the promised land. There, I tied it back. And eventually the seasoned doctor came in and popped it right out. And it was disgusting. If you'd like to see a picture, I have one. So... The exterminator came Monday, but um, (laughs) back to relevant lessons. Don't operate in fear. Um, Verses 7 through 13. So now we're at the Jordan River. Yeah, that's gross. 7 through 13. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from the upstream, and and they shall stand up as a heap. I'm going to skip down to verse 15 real quick. And it says here, That, right at the end of the verse, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So at this point, I stated this out, at this point, the the Jordan River was in flood season. Now, when I picture the Jordan River, I picture this nice, serene body where people are getting baptized. You know, Jesus is there baptizing the disciples. But Dustin, I'm going to have Dustin show a little video clip here. This is actually the Jordan River during flood season freeze frame we'll try again if it doesn't work you get the idea so this you can turn that off this is literally, that is the Jordan River. And of course, we don't know what spot they crossed, but that's literally the Jordan River that they would have faced during the flood season. So if I'm the priest and I've got this big heavy ark in the covenant, I'm looking at this thinking, really? You know, because if I'm going to step this, I'm going to fall, this thing's going to kill me. I mean, it's just it's, there'll be a little bit of fear. And the Israelites, now they did, they probably heard the stories of the Red Sea passing, so hopefully they did believe. But this is what they're about to face. And God is going to do something here. And he's not doing it just because he has a flair for the dramatic. He actually has a point. Joshua has taken over. These people have lived under the leadership of Moses. Deuteronomy said that since Moses' time, another man has not come like Moses. Another prophet did not come who talked face to face to God. Moses was revered. He wrote, you know, the first five books of, of the Bible. He was this revered leader, and poor Joshua having to step in after that. I mean, this is a little bit, this could be a little frightening. Who knows if they're taking him seriously. They do have a history of grumbling. So we also know that it's possible that they're not going to respect his leadership. So God performed his miracle partially in the fact that, okay, Moses was here and he allowed through God's power part of the Red Sea. And now here's Joshua and look what's going to happen. And he stepped into the water. This leader, empowered by the spirit, which your leaders ought to be, And just as he had with the pillar of fire and the cloud, he was going before them, represented by the ark. God was going first. They're following where God is going. And these leaders stepped into the Jordan River. Jordan is about 100 feet wide, 3 to 10 feet deep, they say, except in flood season, which it rages like that. And it runs downhill. So gravity is working against it. This thing is not going to stop. And yet, as in verse 11, it says, the God of all the earth will go before you. He stepped in, and the water it says heaped up. And not just right I always picture like this little path right next to them. But it actually said that it heaped up at a city called Adam, fifteen miles away. And all the tributaries that would have been connected to that as well, and the water kind of going the other direction was now heaped up. And there was so there would have been this fifteen mile wide path. And at first I thought, well, how would they even know that? They, they, they would have been 15 miles away. What occurred to me, there's two and a half million people that are about to cross the river. And I don't know, pardon me, I don't know if they you know, crossed you know, one by one next to the ark. Someone said if they did that in a small groups, it would have taken like 30 days for them to pass. I imagine they probably did it quicker because they met in one large two and a half million group. Either way, taking a lot of time, they're headed towards their goal. They're excited. They saw a miracle and, and the promised land is next. And they're about to come in. So the while, it piled up in a heap. And it also says, and I found this kind of interesting, that they crossed on dry ground. In my backyard, lies kind of low. And there's even just a little bit of rain. It's a sopping mess. And we go into it, we're just like sticky and muddy in the works. This is a river that runs like that. And they didn't run through mud. He immediately made it dry ground. I focus on this point a little bit just to say, your problem's not too big. It doesn't really matter what it is. I know there's some things where we say, this one's so bad, all I can do is pray. Did you think there was a better option? I mean, were you going to try something else? Well, this one I can handle. I'm going to try such and such. But if it gets bad, well, then all I can do is pray. Abel, I mean, there is no better option than prayer. But it doesn't feel like it because we're people of action. We want to do something. We want to fix something. Uh, In a a, a marriage, Heidi brings to me a problem. And it it took her a lot of years for her to teach me that just because I come to you with a problem doesn't mean I want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. Okay? It's hard for me to learn that. It's a man thing. Well, we're people like that. If there's something we can work on, we want to fix it. And it's okay. I understand that. But, man, don't forget to seek him first. They crossed on dry ground. And your problem, whether he fixes it the way you like or not, can be crossed as dry ground. So, if we're looking at the lesson here, I'm going to finish reading through verses 13 through 17. Or sorry, 14. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters then went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. God stepped in once again in history and made his presence known. So if we're relying on him, and I want to recap a little bit. If we think about what I talked about earlier, talking about choices, talking about decisions and seeking, let's think about the steps. And if you're a note taker, there's four steps. And we already talked about them. Here they are. First one, go where God is. Not where he's not. You know where he's not. Certain things you know, this is not God's will. And if you can't figure out what is God's will, you at least know the things that are not. I remember when I was younger praying about something, I want God's will and I want God's will. And I remember a pastor friend of mine at the time telling me, he's like, he, you've got a whole book of God's will. And if you're not, I think I've said this before here, if you're not doing the stuff that's in here, then why would he give you any more will of his? Okay, Go where you know God is. Second, abide in him. That means spend time. Allow him to shape you. Allow him to mold you. Listen when he points out something that's wrong with you. No one wants to hear that. No one likes discipline. It's unpleasant at the time. But listen, if he's pointing something out, work on it. And work on it. And you'll fail. And then work on it some more. Go where God is. Abide in Him. Three, sanctify yourself. Some decisions take that time of setting apart your life. Setting aside your time. Setting aside food. um, Going to spend time, extra time in prayer. Big decisions take you know, take big measures. Prayer and, and abiding in Him, there's nothing more fruitful in decision-making. And when you've done all that, and you know is leading, but it's just fear now that you have, step into the Jordan. Take the step of faith. God will honor a decision that's made for Him. You might get it wrong. I don't think He's too concerned about it. You try something for him and it didn't work out. Try something else, but take a step like they did with the Jordan. Worship team, if you want to come forward. If there's no closer, okay. So happens you get the rookie. So <laughs> let's go ahead and pray. Well, Lord, I, I thank you that um, that your word is fruitful. And that it supplies direction, that it supplies correction, and that it can be the guide we need along with the Holy Spirit to put us in the places that we need to be. I thank you for these willing souls to come out on a Wednesday night and to to study your word together, and for this church that is such a blessing to all of us. And I ask that that you would guide us in your steps, keep us in your will, and allow us to boldly take decisions for you. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Go in peace.